Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp. As always, I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, William? Really good, my friend. This Sunday evening, a uh, bit of a lackluster weekend of college football, but I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to talk through this one this weekend so we can... Oh yeah, you don't sound it. You're not bringing much, mate. Come on, you're flat. I can tell already. That's not what I want to be putting out there. So I'll, Whoa, I'll work on that. I'll turn lift. it around. I'll, I, I can get you something here. I'm sure of it. But uh, yeah, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good. But you're bringing about as much as Georgia Tech did today. So if you can just get some energy going, get some juice going, that'd be great. Um, I had a massive day of kind of keeping my eye on sport. Got up early and, and watched a fair bit, and then. Kept an eye on the Rays as they make it through to the World Series of Baseball. No, we're not a baseball podcast, but um, they make it through to baseball. The Canes win. Port loses in the AFL. So I'm I'm cheering all around. I'm happy days. Good weekend for you then. I'm happy for yeah, you. Yeah, I even had some takes that were... I'm not going to say accurate, but I'm not going to say inaccurate either. So, you know, there's that. So I feel like I'm kicking goals at the moment. Nice one. And sometimes you just got to take those very shit-house wins when you can. Anyway, uh, we've got a, another big show in terms of recap stuff to get to because uh, you know this season continues to deliver in crazy waves uh, and chaotic fashion. That didn't go amiss this week, despite the lack of probably games on the slate. So we'll get to all that. We've got our quick recap in a 360 look at college football for week seven. We've got news to get to. All the Aussies in action, uh, bold predictions and on the punt as well as per usual. So let's not hang around too long tonight, Will, because I'm knackered, mate. I just can't do these early starts and then hope to roll into a week of... um, you know, work. Teaching our youth. Oh, mate. Like I went out for dinner on Friday night and one of the guys I was with is an older gentleman and he brought his puffer and like some uh, indigestion, heartburn tablets in preparation because he didn't know what he was getting for dinner and just in case he was like, you know, prepared. He's obviously washed up and, and well past it, but that is the down the road that I'm heading at this point where my body's just not holding up anymore. Okay, uh, so, so you can see that's on the horizon for you there. Yeah, um, it's just a, a tactical play. Anyway, let's stop fucking around, eh? In honor of Will's headband, uh, which played a lot like... The SEC did this weekend. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. But Bama had a win against Georgia in the big matchup. That was the first of only a few big storylines in the SEC. So take us through it, Will. Yes. uh, Alabama were able to easily account for Georgia in the end. On the back of a really big second half, they went... uh, 21 to nothing on that second half and, and really flexed on them and, and looked to be the better team. So they've emerged as the true contender in the SEC now uh, and are the legitimate threat to Clemson, who just flexed on Georgia with a, a cheeky 73 points. With Trevor Lawrence having a bit of a don't forget about me first half, putting up some crazy, crazy numbers. 
rest of the SEC started to get a bit dicey as well. So Kentucky uh, got over the top of Tennessee in Knoxville for the first time since 1984. So we're going back into the archives for that. And they did it quite easily as well, uh, with Tennessee only putting up the one score uh, and, and Kentucky having two touchdown catches themselves off of the Tennessee quarterback. So they had that one <laughs> easily covered. Uh, and then, not to be outdone, Bo Nix said, hold my beer. <laughs> uh, Auburn go down to South Carolina for the first time since 1933. That is so, an unbelievable start. It's a bit of a misleading one. Uh, I think yeah, they've only true. played eight times since then. Yeah. So, But... Still, that's a that's a long, long record to break there. So a couple of big upsets there. And then the biggest upset of the weekend uh, in the ACC, number five, University of North Carolina came crashing back to earth with what some people called the chaos game of the week. Not hey. pumping up my own tires here, but we, if, <laughs> if there was a, a sound drop for the chaos game, it would be going nuts here. Whatever that siren is, it should be blowing because I've nailed that one. The previously struggling Florida State team that really needed a rousing comeback to get over the top of Jacksonville State managed to (laughs) get up big on UNC and then do enough to just kind of coast home over the line, which is a massive result for them. And scheme of things is not going to really mean a lot this season, but massive for that program to get a scalp like that. And for me, North Carolina kind of showing what I really expected, that they're not all that much. Okay, you've made a lot of noises with your mouth over that couple of minutes. But yeah, based on that, you should be, as the listeners, all caught up on uh, this weekend's of college football. So whilst it probably didn't have the... The action-packed, I guess, high marquee matchups. We've still got a lot of good games, a lot of good contests, and some records broken as well, which is fantastic. There is a little bit of news that we need to get to as well. And Nick Saban had coronavirus and then didn't have coronavirus. And then he had three negative tests and you know his coaching was in doubt over the weekend. But it all got magically cleared up and uh, happy days for Bama and... Obviously, having your head coach on the sideline is a critical thing that needs to occur for you to be successful. And they had that, and they were. So, well done to Bama. And the other one is Dan Mullen at Florida, who seems to be a little bit lackadaisical, a little bit um, less strict with his management of the COVID protocols, has now gone and caught it himself. So, um, the Florida Gators head man... I don't know what this means for their game. They will postpone this week, so we have to watch this space in terms of his coaching over the next week. Yes, it was well publicised when he came out and said he wants to see Gainesville Stadium full of 90,000 fans when Florida was still in the midst of the pandemic. Like They're not like what we have here in Australia and, and some of the other states who are starting to curb it in the US. They're still full-blown getting record amounts every day. And, and that sort of comment came across as just uneducated more than anything else. So then to see him come out and get it, you're like, mm, do you even believe in this stuff? And w- what's going on there, mate? You, you need to be a bit smarter about that. I think he has kind of walked those those comments back. But 
looked bad. Now mm. we've got it. Looks worse. And Florida are, are going to be sidelined for a couple of weeks, I reckon. We're not going to see them and uh, for at least a fortnight, obviously, with that extension. And wouldn't surprise me if it even kicked out a little bit more. Um, the last bit of news that I would like to say is that the Big Ten is back next week. So Officially. we will be touching this. Uh, on Careful in- with that. <laughs> We'll touching on this in our preview <laughs> show uh, later in the week, but I am excited to see them back. We've got a, a bit of a barn burner leading things off with game day heading to Minneapolis for the Minnesota-Michigan game. So I don't think we really know what either of those teams like. Obviously, Minnesota was really good last year and achieved a lot more than what we expected. And Michigan were pumped up to be a big year and then probably disappointed like they have mm. for... I don't know, as long as I can remember now. So both of these programs will be looking to really get off to a big start and it's going to be a huge statement victory for either side heading into that Big Ten play. Cool. Yeah, obviously we're going to touch on that a whole heap more in the preview episode coming up later in the week, but uh, some interesting storylines. Even there and even the choice of game, I feel like Iowa State, Oklahoma State's got more on the line this year in terms of a Big 12 matchup. I feel like that one probably could have had game day, especially with the uncertainty around the Big Ten. I know they want to get Big Ten crowds back in. They want something different, all that kind of stuff. But I would have thought that would have been a better selection, personally. But anyway. Yeah, well, Iowa State needs to go and not lose games to, uh, what, Sunbelt teams. Yeah, I mean, True. But just wait. There'll be chaos in the Big Ten as well. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's get into some game recaps because um, it's ticking off into fucking whatever. Like the sun's coming up in Argentina at this point. So <laughs> let's push on. Uh, the most entertaining games for me this week actually happened before Sunday and they're in the group of five. We'll touch on them at the finish. But there was some really, really big games and really entertaining games that happened over Friday and Saturday as well. But let us kick things off with the ACC and we will discuss the aforementioned UNC and Florida State matchup down in Tallahassee. unbelievable finish to this one florida state 31 north carolina 28 you just heard two of the final three consecutive drops that effectively ended the game as the tie Heels muster a big comeback but fall short to the seminoles uh, before we get to that final kind of play in series where there were three drops that the first one from boy corrales was pretty stiff there's probably a penalty on the play, but the following two, Daz Newsom and then Javante Williams were bad, bad drops. Uh, but the story of this game has to be the first half. Half North Carolina had two punts blocked, an interception returned for a touchdown. They got behind early and then went away from what they do best, which is run the ball. Tamari and Terry missed the game for the Seminoles. Um, but they actually did a pretty good job moving Jordan Travis around, rolling the pocket. He made enough plays with his arms and legs. And Seminoles actually could have scored more points, but failed to do so. Tahir was put up over 550 yards of total offense. 
but went second. Uh, sorry, two of fourteen on third and fourth downs combined. So. Again, I keep bringing up these total yard stats. I really should stop doing it because the only stat that really matters is the scoreline and North Carolina came up on the wrong side of that. How far will the Tar Heels fall on the back of a disappointing finish? Uh, and whilst a good rally, they, they could not get in field goal range to at least tie that one up at the end of the game. Oh, they're tumbling outside the top 10. Uh, This loss against an unranked and pretty piss-poor Florida State team that we've seen so far is is not acceptable to be floating around in those top 10 numbers. Like Miami automatically gets the job. Their loss against Clemson is is much better. And, and where were they sitting at coming into this week at 12? So that that's a minimum that you look at. And, and I'd be slotting them back, you know, after that. There's a bit of carnage. So we'll have to see what happens there. But... This one kind of makes them irrelevant now. I mean, everyone in the ACC kind of is, the way Clemson's looking at the moment. Yeah, but, yeah. but they had their uh, fate in their hands and have essentially lost it with this one here. You can't go spotting a team a 31-7 to half and then <laughs> expect to be able to come back and win that game, especially when you are a team that relies on the run. And, and you need to be able to do that because that's going to chew up the clock and, and it's not something you can afford to do. So you have to put the ball in your quarterback's hand who, who's already kind of thrown the pick six and, and cost you. And it leans into what Florida State want to be doing and that's running the ball. I mean, they've, they've got a young quarterback in there, Jordan Travis, who is not overly great at passing the ball from what I've seen. Like he's going to develop, but he was what, 8 and 19 on the day. And a lot of them were like thrown up off balance, rolling a pocket, pass option sort of stuff. And then ugh, scramble, kind of throw it up, flutter them into the middle of the field. And it, it wasn't convincing, dissecting. Um, Absolutely. Real shades of me playing NCAA. Like Ooh, just yeah. get a, a super fast quarterback and roll him out to one side and have a look. See if you can toss the ball up and hope one of your boys can catch it. Or if you've got a bit of space in front of you, just take off. And he, and he did that. He did that to great effect. Uh, he had 16 carries and over 100 yards and, and got in a couple of times. So he was able to do that and also set up the, the ground game for LaDamian Webb. Uh, who mm. ran the ball quite successfully for them too. Uh, he went for over 100 yards on only 12 carries. So the, that really carried the game for them. That, the special teams play, the ability to get that pick six and, and offset North Carolina there really got them across the line in this one, which is part of what we're seeing this year. It's, it's absolute carnage, uh, and, and I'm not shocked to see this, as I said, but North Carolina be absolutely kicking themselves. I'll give you some credit on that one, William. So well done. Yeah, I kind of got two contradicting thoughts here in that North Carolina do play really well in front. Having said that, Virginia Tech came and closed them out. But when they're confident and Sam Howe looks confident and I don't want to say cocky, but certainly he believes in his own skill set, believes in his arm talent, believes in that running game and they are balanced or at least have the appearance of balance they've got choice i suppose in their play calling then they look dangerous and really really tough to stop but when you get behind they just didn't look the part today and not that sam Howe looked too rattled and he fought them back into the game to his credit but you just like you said you can't spot a team that much and i think if you can get up on this north carolina team they don't quite look the same 
threatening offense as what they do when they are balanced with those two running backs and, and can sort of pick and choose what they want to do. So well done to Florida State. Hopefully this can kickstart Mike Norvell's tenure there and they can actually develop some belief. We're worried about the meltdown that happened on the back of the Willie Taggart regime at the end of last year. And hopefully this can actually propel them into a better position uh, because the ACC does need, as much as I kind of want to see Florida State you know, not successful. The ACC needs to rely on these on this school as a potential blue blood to be able to be successful. So let's carry on. Pitt and Miami. The Canes get up thirty-one to nineteen. Uh, Kenny Pickett was out for the Pitt Panthers. Joey Yellen got the start and struggled early, but kind of settled in. Had some moments. The first drive of the mat, the game for him was pretty good. And then in the third quarter as well, Brevin Jordan was out for the Canes. Uh, a lot of penalties, a lot of mistakes for particularly Pitt. Probably the highlight of this game in the first half was the punting game. Two Australian guys, Kurt Christodoulou and Lou Headley, were just doing work, flipping fields and making things really tough. Uh, Miami needs to start protecting their franchise, though. Derek King was having to try to do a lot, extend plays. The O-line struggled in passing downs. The wide receivers continue to be really average, and they just get completely deleted by press man coverage, and which forces a lot of, uh, you know, naturally a lot, the safeties to be out of bracket those slot receivers. So, Will Mallory was taken out of the game. They're relying on running backs to get passes out of the backfield and so a lot of work to do here for the canes the last one i would do want to mention rashad weaver is a weapon on the defensive line for pitt he'll play on sundays pitt held to 19 yards uh a win you move on after a loss to clemson last week yeah no i, did, I didn't tune into this one uh, i am happy to see a couple of aussie boys flipping the field though really going at it so that that's awesome news but uh Miami needed to bounce back and win that one, and they were able to do that. So happy for you, my They friend. haven't done that either for the last 10 years, so well done them. Notre Dame, 12, beat Louisville, 7. Hell. Well, I mean, like, we expected Notre Dame to win, I assume, right? That was what we kind of thought would happen. Louisville have got one of the worst defenses in the ACC. But they were good today, and the offenses sucked. But 107 yards passing only for the Irish on 19 attempts was not what they are after. Uh, they needed 25 carries and 127 yards from Kyron Williams to see them through this one. And sometimes you just have to win ugly. Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts on this one. I mean, great for them to escape with a win where other teams obviously aren't at the moment. A little bit concerning that you're only putting up 12 points and, and one touchdown against a pretty porous uh, Louisville defensive unit. So that there's some concern certainly there. I mean, this did not look like the number four team in the nation, and, and that's where they're currently ranked at the moment. But as you said, win's a win. They'll take that one and, and put it in the bank, move on to the next week, and, and there's going to be a lot of that where teams are, are just going to need to scrape and scrap and fight to see what they can do to win uh, to be able to push their case forward within each respective conference. I think the ACC has mostly so far allowed the SEC and the Big 12 to dominate the carnage headlines. This was not the case this week. Like That is the number four team in the country 
putting up 12 points on Louisville. They could drop out of the top four on the back of that and possibly should. Um, so we'll, well see won. what ha- They won. I mean, yes, uh, UNC yeah, losing at five is a big deal, but I have a big issue with putting like Penn State ahead of these guys, say, when they've mm. been idle and they're not doing anything. I don't want to see that yeah. shit. These guys won. They're doing it on the field. Louisville, uh, like we expected them to be a decent team this year. And yes, they've had some de- disappointing results, but they're still going to be competitive each week and, and they're going to steal one from, like it wasn't this one, but... I don't know, whatever they've got on the, on their slate, they're not going to be a, a knockabout. So I'm not taking too much away from the Fighting Irish here. Just happy they could get the job done for, for their sake. Yeah, well, Louisville dropped to 0-4 in conference. So they are going to struggle to make a bowl this year by the looks of things. Keeping on moving like a train, Clemson run through Georgia Tech 73-7. to I don't think I've seen anything like this in a power five conference before i didn't check the numbers on that trevor lawrence goes 22 of 27 for 391 yards and five touchdowns for many quarterbacks they never hit those kind of numbers he did that in the first half that is one half of football for him he threw a pick in there too they led 52 to 7 at the half 16 people caught a pass 10 people carried the ball on the ground I actually said that I thought this game might be a little bit closer because Clemson just wouldn't really try very hard. I was heaps wrong on that. They made mincemeat of anything Georgia Tech put in their way. Well, I think the scary thing is they weren't trying that hard. Those were first-half numbers from their starters. That's what we're talking about. Like That was half a game from them. Then they put it in neutral and rolled home with the backups. Uh, and that that rolling and then the home backups didn't... backups and Correct. then the water boy was getting in there and the towel Correct. waving they guy. were pulling people from the stands taking their masks <laughs> off putting a helmet on and saying get out there and they were still getting it done like they didn't concede a point i think what they gave up on their opening drive georgia tech scored and then yeah. after that it just went clemson touchdown clemson touchdown clemson touchdown clemson touchdown like just consistently from then on out they had their defense after that point had more, nearly more turnovers than yards given on the next, uh, up until the half. They had three turnovers and five yards given up after that initial drive. So, I mean, that, that just shows the dominance of this team. I know you've been kind of on a bit of a bandwagon this year that this Clemson team isn't as good as years past, and, and they've been all-timers. I think we need to start to take another look at that one where like just the fact you've got a peak Trevor Lawrence who who mm-hmm. is that good and, mm-hmm. as well as a running mate in Travis Etienne like that offensive side propels them so high yes defensively they might not have the same star playmakers but they're delivering results so I think there's certainly an argument that these guys are forming that this could be the best Clemson we've seen Absolutely, and and I w- I did want to make a comment on that because I have been saying you know Clemson's not they don't have the talent across the board that they've had in years past, but this might be the best Clemson team, and obviously those two things are very different, and they look united, they look like steely, resolute, and completely unbeatable, uh, and I am so so impressed with just how organized, how disciplined, how. Uh, you know how 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 they can just control a game from the outset and yeah i know you know trevor lawrence and travis Etienne are that talented but their receivers aren't their defensive secondary is not their front 
is good, but it's not like it was two years ago. So, but that they're t- as a team, they could not be. There's no better team in college football. I'd argue there's probably no better team in college football or the pros at the moment in terms of a team that looks so united and and so ready to just fucking push your shit in every week. All right, let's carry on. Boston College get blown out by Virginia Tech, 42-14. Hendon Hooker had a big day on the ground. 18 carries, 164 yards and three TDs. BC actually kind of hung around offensively. I say that from a statistical standpoint because they turn the ball over five times. And when you do that, when you have a five to zero turnover ratio, you are probably losing that game 99% of the time. So there's a bit of a slow start for the Hokies, uh, but they eventually crank things into gear and pull away very comfortably from a BC team that has been more competitive than that in the initial part of the year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, turnover's a killer. You've nailed it on the head there. I I do like the look of Phil Jerkovic there uh, as the, the quarterback of Boston College. I think he's been really good this year. He's stepped in and given this Boston team a little bit more of a dynamic edge. I'm used to a team that just runs the ball 40 times a game, and and that's what you do up in BC. That has a certain level of success, but it also has a cap on it. He he has added a different dimension. Obviously, new coaching staff in there. They're going about things a new way. They have been uh, a lot more exciting than what we saw today. Virginia Tech just outclassed them, Uh, and, and it's good to see them finding their feet a little bit now after one of the more interrupted uh, groups. I mean, everyone's been up interrupted, obviously, but they, they seem to cop it hard early. So maybe if they're starting to find their feet, they could potentially uh, feature later on in the year, depending on how things shake out. For sure. NC State beat Duke 20-31. to 31. We talked about how Duke give the ball up on average three times per game. Guess how many times Chase Bryce threw the ball to someone not wearing a blue playing top is it three correct yeah so they were perfectly on pace uh nc state turned the ball over as well but they managed to shut out the blue devils in the second half and ease their way to an 11 point victory syracuse fall to liberty 38 21 wake forest beat virginia 40 to 23 any cliff notes on any of those will uh, Syracuse are on my bad list. They're on my shit list now. <laughs> well, I can't believe you picked a team that lost their probably all-American safety, their starting quarterback done for the year, and you're like, yeah, they're going to beat Liberty. Yes, in hindsight. I mean, but Liberty's Liberty. We're, to- we're talking they're Liberty. They're good, though. Man. Liberty are good. We're, we're talking Liberty. Yeah, they win practice. four games. They win ball games. I mean, they are this year, so look, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, I've, heard this, I've heard that line before. Should have pulled that one out. All right, let's move on to the Big 12. Kansas 17, West Virginia 38. Kansas actually led for most of the first half, and then they didn't, and they got blown out. So, Yeah, look, let's not give this one too much airtime. <laughs> the Big 12 has not given us a lot to look for <laughs> over this weekend. Uh, West Virginia really got going uh, late in the second, as you mentioned, and then across the back half and, and managed to cruise to a fairly comfortable victory in the end in a game that doesn't really mean a lot. All right, let's get into the SEC now and the big one on the weekend, Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, Devontae Smith 
uh, makes one of his many receptions on the day to push Alabama out to a 41-24 victory over the Georgia Bulldogs. In prime time on national television, Mac Jones throws his first pass of the game for an interception by Richard LeCount. Uh, he then recovers to throw for 417 yards, four TDs, and leads the Tide to a comprehensive victory. The Bulldogs were shut out in the second half. And as I expect, I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back here. That Alabama defense put on a much better showing, getting three interceptions on Stetson Bennett. To be fair, two of those three were not really on him. One was a deflected ball uh, from a, uh, a wide receiver that landed in DB's lap. He sailed it a bit, but not too bad. The one in the first half was brutal. I don't know if you saw that one, like battered down at the line and then an Alabama defensive lineman who had no idea where the ball was, turned around and it just kind of landed in his lap and he reined it in. So whilst they picked him off three times, probably a little bit harsh to say that they were all on him. But what are your takeaways from this particular game for Alabama? You are right. The Alabama defense did step up. It wasn't looking so much like that in the first half. Obviously, all of Georgia's points came in the first half. They had 24 going there. But what was a, a consistent theme throughout the game was the disruptiveness of that Alabama line, especially with their ability to get their hands up and into passing lanes and bat the ball down. Uh, I think looking at the stats here, Alabama had... 10 passes deflected and and I wouldn't be shocked to say that seven of those came from defensive linemen and when you've got that it is cause it, it is such a drive killer when it's often on your passing downs third down or even if it's you know a second down and and, and you're trying to hit a slant or, or something across the middle and that one gets batted away yes it opens up the chance for interceptions to occur but also it, it puts you in those third and long spots where teams like Alabama love to be and, and relish to have these weapon pass rushes that they have just pin their ears back and get after the quarterback and that was a theme across the day I mean going into the half uh, this was a really exciting game and then we saw the mastery of coaching that Nick Saban mm. puts on, that he is, and the defensive adjustments that he was able to make. I mean, offensively, they kept rolling. They were doing their thing. We talked going into this one, it was going to be strength on strength, this Georgia def uh, off defense sorry, and, and the Alabama offense going head-to-head, -head and, and what were we going to see? And it was Alabama that came out on top. This Georgia defense did not have an answer for what Devonta Smith was able to do. He really impressed me in this game. He Going into it, I thought he was more of a... More of a burner and, and not someone that could really be a true number one target. But his ability to get open, to come back at the ball, strong hands, to win over the top, like it, it multifaceted at the wide receiver position really stood out to me that, uh, you know, the, the route running was there, the contested catches were there. He, he put it all on display, which is what you want to see from a guy who is stepping up and can play that role. So he was absolutely phenomenal. And Mac Jones uh, yeah. at the quarterback, I've been banging the drum for a little while now, but I think even, like I've been saying, top 20, he's better than that. He's in the Heisman conversation, surely. Absolutely, absolutely. He's top three at the moment in the Heisman conversation, just purely on numbers. Uh, yes, he has the best supporting cast in the country, but he is getting it done and he's getting it done at a really high and efficient level at the moment. And this tied team's rolling. So 
it, it was a, a really good tight tussle for the first half and then it just became what I'm so used to watching with Alabama mm. and why I don't watch a lot of Alabama football games they were just too good and too methodical and the, the team that they're coming up against just had no answer uh, and and in this case it was Georgia Nick Saban has this for a stat now has a record of 22 and 0 against, against his former assistant coaches yeah, I, I didn't actually know the stat, but as soon as you started reading it, I was like, yeah, I know Kirby Smart has now come up short three times against him. I know Bill Belichick's a bit uh, a bit the same in the NFL as well. Like, they just don't lose to people that they know, which is horrifying and somewhat scary as well. That is absolutely nuts to think about. 22-0, and 0, I mean, imagine Clarko going on that sort of run against all of his because that's essentially what it is like it, it's a coach who had great success and then he's gone on and all of his assistants have, have become head coaches that they now compete against but like Hardwick's in the grand final Leon Cameron was in the grand final these were all mm-hmm. his guys it's just not happening with Saban I don't, I don't know what he's hiding from these guys to, but they, yeah. they just can't they can't figure him out and they can't crack that code yeah, I mean, coming back to those Alabama wide receivers as well, like Mac Jones is very good. He dropped a lot of balls in good spots. But, you, I mean, we played the clip before. Devonta Smith's last touchdown. Like, there's a lot of dudes not making that catch. That's falling incomplete. There's a lot of balls that are getting thrown where they do make these unbelievable contested catches. And they're not big guys. Devonta Smith's not big. Jalen Waddle is almost bigger probably. And John Mechie's not big either. They're not, you know, real big body number one prototypical number one kind of wide receivers but they're crafty crafty enough route runners they're not jerry judy's but you know they're they're tough they're dynamic they're good in and out of their breaks they can take the top off when need be uh and they left them on islands at time with georgia did and and they paid the price um tariq campbell and and um stevenson couldn't could not keep uh, their players in check and as a result they they went and rolled so well done to the tide and they look particularly dangerous okay let's keep on trucking here this is going to be one of my favorites for the week can you get it jojo can you i'm going to set the scene here 215 left down a touchdown 80 yards to go bo Nix, here's your chance here it is four red zone plays let's have a look and a listen to the last one Knicks is running out. A flag is down, and Knicks running the ball. He's tackled at the nine. No time left. Let's see what the penalty is, though. Personal foul. Answer the face. Offense number 71. The ball carrier is short of the line of the game. That penalty is declined. JoJo. Come on, mate. Admittedly, it's not easy. I get it. You're kind of rolling on a South Carolina defense. It's pretty good. But you had four red zone plays and you passed the ball of those four red zone plays to win the game, or sorry, to tie the game. You passed the ball zero times. Zero times did you actually pull the trigger and throw the ball to one of your receivers. I know that's easy for me to say. I haven't seen the old 22. I don't exactly know if they were covered or whatever. But do something. You, you've got to fire your shot. And he just didn't. Admittedly, he made a lot of plays with his legs throughout that drive and actually did a really good job to get them in scoring position. But hey, it, you know, no one cares who comes second in the Olympics. So 
you need to be able to finish those drives. That's what good quarterbacks do. Uh, another frustrating letdown for Auburn. On top of that, it wasn't just that drive, to be fair. Like, he threw three picks for the game as well, which did set up scoring um, opportunities for South Carolina. And like we mentioned earlier, they go and beat Auburn for the first time in since 1933. So, Auburn come up short again. Gus Malzahn has to be on a burning, burning hot seat now. He needs to make some changes. I don't know what they look like, but um, I think that's who... Bo Nix is. This is as good as it gets for him. He looks good at times. He's athletic, can break the pocket, can throw when there's protection. But when the lights get big, he comes up small over and over and over again. Yeah, you've been on this uh, trail for a little while now, and it's it's being somewhat vindicated with what we're seeing play out on the field. He, he has not stepped up to be the player that Auburn were hoping him to be, that Gus Malzahn was hoping him to be. And and I feel like I'm repeating myself. I feel like I've said this a couple of times already this year now. This Auburn team is one blown call away from being one and three. Like that's mm-hmm. really where they should be sitting at. And he has got to wear uh, his share of that. Uh, and, and that's Bo Nix, that's Gus Malzahn at the top. Those guys there are just not putting themselves in a position to win these games. I mean, throwing three interceptions in a game is going to kill your chances uh, against a team as quality as, as South Carolina. So th- th- there's that. And then there's the point that you made about not pulling the trigger towards the end when mm. you're in the red zone and you've got four shots and, you, and you're not willing to fire your shot. Like, it's, it's decision-making. And, and you, you can have all the tools and you can fall in love with the tools. But when you are uh, a quarterback, so much of it comes down to astute decision-making and, and mm. being awesome at that Whatever that is, it's that X factor, that moxie that we love seeing from like your Tim Tebow. Like I, I love going back to him because everyone kind of knocks him at how he, he his mechanics were pretty piss poor. He, he didn't have a great arm strength, arm talent. But what he did was win a lot of fucking football games because he knew what he needed to do when he needed to do it. It was decision making. It was... Uh, putting the ball where it needed to be. And and you just don't see that from Bo Nix. So you're right, Auburn have really got to reassess where they're at. Uh, Gus Malzahn, is, the pressure is well and truly back on him here because they could quickly find themselves at the bottom of the SEC West. And if that happens, he's done. Where do they head next? What do they look like? And we keep coming back. Like We should give some... Uh, some positive raps on South Carolina as well because they played a pretty good game. Um, I mean, Kevin Harris ran the ball pretty well. Their defense was good when it had to be. Um, they got pressure. Uh, I mean, they struggled to contain uh, Tank Bigsby, who's been good. He's been the the one shining sort of light for for me is in that Auburn offense is, has been their ability to run the ball. But they now uh, go to Old Miss next week. Then it's against LSU. So the, I guess the schedule, I say it maybe eases up a bit. But, I mean, Arkansas are actually okay probably. They're, and we'll discuss them in a bit. But South Carolina, tougher. Old Miss aren't going to be easy. And they're going to be coming off a disappointing game. So they're going to be looking to get some redemption. LSU have had a horrible start to the season. 
And then you finish the year Tennessee, Alabama, A&M. Like, oof. I don't know how many win- how many wins do you see there? Three, maybe, of the last six? I think three's best case. I, I, yeah. I honestly would have it under three. I'm, I'm thinking that they might scrape two out of those, and, and that's not going to be good Five and five, enough. does that keep his job? Yes. I, I, I'd have to have a look at where those numbers are on his contract, but I know that they expect more on the planes at Auburn there. Yeah, and I mean, and the, the other thing is they've got some good wide receivers as well. Seth Williams was targeted like 11 times for only four catches, I believe. So like, uh, anyway, frustrating. But well done, South Carolina. Well done, Will Muschamp. Uh, and getting a victory there. Let's keep on going as Texas A&M survived their kind of possible letdown, which didn't actually eventuate, but they beat Mississippi State 28-14. to This one didn't get as hectic as I thought it might. KJ Costello might hold the passing record in the SEC for many, 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 many years to come. He threw for 623 against LSU. He's thrown for 644 in the following three games since that time he got hooked today uh, i don't think i've seen a player fall from grace within one season quite like that especially with all the hype surrounding mike leach and the air raid and all that sort of stuff AM do back up their win against florida in a very uninspiring performance led by defense special teams isaiah spiller at running back has been fantastic he goes over 100 again and a touchdown um, but this is more the the performance I expect from the Aggies each week. I know you talked about how you think they're the Florida level Aggies. This is more what I expect from Texas A&M. Up and down, Kellen Mond, um, his ability to move the ball on the ground, good. But they're going to win with defense and special teams, and just enough on offense. And that's what happened here. Yeah, Kellen Mond did revert back to what we've seen, and unfortunately so. Like he he was inconsistent. He threw for. Less than 50% today. Uh, he had the turnover himself. And it, I was hoping that that last victory was going to be something he could take comf- confidence from and, and step forward with. And, and that just wasn't the case. Uh, Mississippi State were... You, you talk about uh, old mate KJ Costello t- being a fall from grace and, and, and him. But it's not just... It's this whole program. I mean, mm. they put up seven points offensively because they yeah. had a pick six on on defense which i mean i put that on kellamon that was a bit of a rough one that bounced off a helmet went 30 yards forward in the defensive lineman <laughs> or out, like uh, someone blitzing in the backfield managed to turn around pluck it and kind of walk away with it in the end zone so that was a bit unlucky but that was how mississippi state scored outside mm. of that they couldn't get it going again and and it's mm. really concerning so as we mentioned going into this, uh, Mike Leach has some work to do uh, in sorting that locker room out and, and getting his, uh, what, what do you say, his modus operandi across to his players. Like he, he came out and said that he wasn't happy with what he was seeing. And I think that until he can make that change and, and get that culture shift in the locker room, we're going to continue to see these underwhelming, disappointing performances from this outfit because it really needs to be a, it, more than just the X's and O's. He needs his guys buying into it, and it's just simply not happening at the moment. Yeah, and we'll see if Mississippi State can bounce back. Arkansas beat Ole Miss 33-21. to 21. This was actually a really entertaining game. The, 
the final score probably belies how kind of close it was. Grant Morgan iced the game with a pick six of Matt Corral with just over three minutes remaining. Uh, Arkansas have been floating around competency actually under head coach Sam Pittman this year, not just kind of, you know, rocking up for a game here or there. They're actually pretty good. Uh, so I'm glad they got this win, especially after what happened last week in the Auburn game. So well-deserved for them. Six interceptions on the day for Matt Corral, which was disappointing for him. But he he didn't... He never went gun-shy, which is what you sort of want to see from a young freshman quarterback. And he'll get better for that. And you see... Big big name quarterbacks have had that game in their past before, where things just go horribly wrong. It's a bit like quicksand, and it just goes backwards quickly. I think the defense, the the disappointing part for me with Ole Miss was that they were down twenty to seven in the fourth quarter, and it was their running game that got them back in the game. And after a few back and forth scores, Ole Miss got the ball with three and a half minutes and down 21-26. They could run the ball every single play. And with the speed that they go, they still could get in the end zone in three and a half minutes. Unfortunately, they decided to put the ball in the hands of Matt Crow, who at that point had already thrown four picks and went away from the running game. And I don't know why they did that because... Grant Morgan iced the game. He also backed that up with 19 tackles on the day uh, and three f- tackles for a loss. Hudson Clark had three of the six picks for the Pigs, uh, and they should be three and one. Really? Not two and two. They should be three and one. So well done to Arkansas, um, but I, I didn't rate the play calling at the finish there by our boy Lane Kiffin. Yeah, okay. I think that's probably a bit harsh. I mean, three minutes to go and you're down a score and you need to drive the field, you're naturally going to pass the football. And yes, Matt Corral had turned the ball over a lot during the day, like a lot. Five picks already to that point is fucking a lot. But he's your playmaker and, and you got to ride or die by that. So I, th- I think obviously looking at it now, yeah, you, you might have been able to get a bit more going from the run game, but... They were that, gashing him. They were gashing. I just, I just didn't get it. At least get a first down on the ground. Get some confidence. Um, get that first first down and then go for the, I don't know. I just, I didn't, and I, I said it straight away. As soon as he dropped back to pass, I was like, ah, wouldn't be doing this. Pick six. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, hindsight Easy there to say. as well. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. 19 tackles though. That's, that's a day out. You've, you've, <laughs> you've earned your spot in the ice bath. Uh, I assume you're one. just on concussion protocol straight up. If well, I think you've just got CTE, don't you? At the end of that one, <laughs> so, well, you, that's no, that's that's an impressive effort with that. A uh, couple of pass deflections, pick six himself, a sack, nineteen tackles. Like he's <laughs> stuffing the stat sheet. Uh, old Grant Morgan. So good to see there, and I'm happy to see Arkansas back. I mean, yeah, you, so you're right. They, sh- they should be three and one. This is a once proud unit that mm. was really good. Like they, they were a tough out. They were nationally relevant, and then it feels like they haven't been for a long time. Not only have they been bad, they've kind of been the doormat of the SEC West. So to yeah. see them turning it around is is really good, and and it's only a good thing for college football. Sam Pittman, have you seen him in a white shirt? Have you I had have a not. look at that guy? Google it. Tell me, like, how big is his chest? Slash, I mean, he's, he's carrying a bit of weight on that chest, but, like, it is, like, thick and borderline. And I'm not being critical of Sam Pittman. Seems like a lovely guy, but 
Yeah, he, he looks. He almost needs some support. I think. Ooh, I see well. what you're getting at here. I'm looking at a photo, and uh, they like the big horse fellas down in uh, Arkansas. I don't know. I had Brett Bolima there before, who was also a heavy set fella, big he horse, was. and. Yeah, you, you're looking at least a B cup there. <laughs> oh, at least. least. He's a big dude. Knows his way around the bench press probably. But uh, okay, let's continue on. You, we've already mentioned this one, but Kentucky crush Tennessee dreams as they beat up on the Vols 34 to 7. A scoreless opening stanza. Kentucky went up on 14-0 on consecutive pick sixes thrown by Jarrett Guarantano. And from there, Kentucky just kind of ground out a victory. Neither team eclipsed 300 yards of total offense. Three interceptions for the Vols was the big problem in that one. And they could never work their way back into the game. So Tennessee seemed to... The difference between their floor and... Not that I think that their ceiling is particularly high, but the difference between their floor and ceiling is grandiose. And when they play down, they're really bad... So a long, long way to go still for Tennessee. And I think overhyped, yeah, they had momentum. And they're okay, don't get me wrong. But when things go pear-shaped, it, it's not good news. I mean, my sure thing on the punt picks have some sort of magic power. For, <laughs> for this to have not happened since the 1980s and for them... them to hear it, obviously they heard the pick and they said, yeah, we're going to break this, boys. We're on here. They, they've, pl- they've played the podcast in the rooms beforehand uh, and he's then come out and thrown consecutive pick sixes and followed it up with another pick straight after that. So three picks in three drives, two going for house calls. You, like, <laughs> fuck me. You cannot... You cannot even read about this shit. So I mean, but that's that's what Jared Guarantano can do, and and that's always been the risk with him. You feel like you are one pass away from the game looking very different. Not necessarily because I mean, what probably one way or the other, but he certainly uh, he just makes you nervous a little bit. I want him to be good. I want him to be good. I like the look of him. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm ropeable. I'm off him. I'm off Tennessee too. <laughs> Okay, let's get into the group of five because there are some games I do want to cover just because of the entertainment factor. SMU overcome Tulane in overtime. I think SMU is the better team. They get out of that one 37-34, but you know, losing their two biggest weapons during the week in Robeson and their running back as well obviously had a massive impact. Shane Bichelle was still really good and a really entertaining finish to that one, but I don't think Tulane is that great. SMU come out on top. But I think this may be as high as it gets for the Stangs this year. I don't know. They're, they're looking good. They're going to be putting up points. They're, they're going to be in the mix for the Americans. So I, I like where they're at. I like that last year wasn't a flash in the pan. They've been able to bounce back around. And it looks like that uh, pony gang is continuing to ride. So it's, it's a good one. If I had them in the championship draft, I'd be selling hard. All right. Uh, Houston, we're up at half time against BYU, but then get run out of the stadium, 43 to 26. Zach Wilson was great again, and the Cougs ran kind of a similar play to the Chiefs the other day with that underhanded throw to a tight end on the end of the line from a rollout play. The Chiefs did it against the Ravens. Which Cougs? (laughs) Sorry, mate. BYU. Thank you. (laughs) Um, either way, 
Uh, everyone in college football should be watching this BYU team, and I think they are now. They're getting that national attention, uh, and rightly so, because they've been fantastic. Absolutely. They are this year's UCF of old, or the Boise State before that, where they're going to they're gonna have a shot, a really, really good shot at running the table, and then they're going to be left out regardless. And like it's probably fair, because their schedule is dog shit. It's un- unfair this year, because... They, they really haven't been given a good opportunity to improve it, and they've just had to get what games they can. Mm-hmm. And I like this team. Like Zach Wilson is awesome. He's great to watch. He's getting himself right up in the top quarterback talk in the Heisman race. So it's awesome to see. But it's like they've got... But it's a boy- new team as well. I think that's the other thing. Like if it's UCF yeah. again, it's like, oh, you know, whatever. Bit over but it. Yeah, like Boise yeah. did it for a while and then you kind of yeah. got a bit over them and then UCF were doing it. You're like, oh yeah, they, they got a big student body down in Florida. That's cool. Let's get around them. Yeah. And now, yeah, whatever. Don't want to hear anymore. BYU, ooh, independence. Underdog story. Like Notre Dame. <laughs> exactly. The Mormon Notre Dame. <laughs> Right. That's, what, that's what they should be branded as. That's what they, yeah. I'll, I, I'll let them know. All right, you do that. Okay, Temple overcome an 11-point deficit against South Florida. The Owls had to survive a two-point try at the close of that game to get the win 37-39. UCF fall to Memphis on a failed field goal attempt, 49-50. to But the, the strange setup from this one was the kicker, Daniel Barsky, came off after missing the field goal. It was still eight seconds on the clock, so the game was still live. But he was ropeable, like inconsolable, tears, fuming, punching stuff. And then UCF backup quarterback to his own teammate, Quandry Jones, went over there and decided to give him a little bit of feedback, which he was not interested in receiving. And there was coaches in there breaking it up, players breaking it up, but... Man, that like a disappointing finish for UCF because Dylan Gabriel, who played a fantastic game, it was all for naught in the end. What's going through your mind where you can see someone's like life is just shattered? Because as a kicker at like UCF, there's you're not going to have a whole heap of moments, and this would be right up there with them. And and when it doesn't go your way, it's devastating. So like it's happening, and someone's seen like a meltdown happening in front of them. And I sometimes think these things, but I'm just, I, I don't have the set to go up and actually fan those flames. And he just did. He went in there. I'm like, what are you doing? But like, this is like a red shirt freshman backup quarterback. It's not like he's out there like yeah, leading the charge. Like in no in the place the. Pe- Checking order, backup quarterback is still well ahead of starting kicker. (laughs) Heartbreaking. And I think the other thing is that's interesting. I remember listening to an article about kickers. And when kickers were brought into the game, this actually wasn't what they were designed for. They weren't designed to go in there and hit game-winning 40, 30 to 50-yard field goals every week. It's what we expect now in the NFL, but that's not actually what they were designed to do. And there's so much pressure put on one swing of the leg um but yeah anyway interesting louisiana lose to coastal carolina 30 27 in a battle of the sunbelt unbeaten so go the chanticleers i like watching that offense it's like a weird uh spread to run triple option elements some not quite the same as the old art Briles baylor teams but lots of two back kind of sets and um Yes, yeah, so some interesting stuff. So I quite liked watching lots of 20 personnel. I quite like watching uh, Coastal Carolina's offense. So they were good. 
<sighs> that is it. Are there any games we've missed that you need to get off your chest? No, I think Will? that's it. Let's let's keep rolling through this and close this one out, my friend. Okay, right. We do have to get to on the punt. So, but before we do that, let's rewind. Anything you have missed from the week? I'm going to take Traylon Burks's one-handed TD catch for Arkansas, which came in a big moment. He had 11 receptions and over 100 yards, but this catch is worth another look. So that is my take for the rewind this week. I like that. Uh, I'll roll that into some helmet stickers as well. So we kind of mentioned a lot of these guys. But that UCF-Memphis game was an absolute shootout at the quarterback position. So Dylan Gabriel went uh, for 600 yards, five touchdowns without an interception. And Brady White, so that's in a losing effort. Not bad. (laughs) Uh, Brady White also had uh, 486 himself and one-upped on the touchdowns with six without an interception. So both of those guys were awesome. Zach Wilson... Uh, as we mentioned, had 400 yards and four touchdowns. And Trevor Lawrence's day of 24 for 32 for 400 yards and five touchdowns in the first fucking half is well, he unreal. Played, he played one drive in the second half. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's worth noting Najee Harris's 152 yards against yeah. this Georgia defense. Yes, he had 31 We'll get to that later. To we that. will get to that okay. later. Uh, I just want to give him his sticker. Uh, Letty Brown for West Virginia against Kansas had nearly 200 Mm. yards on the ground, which is awesome. And at North Texas, who are quite renowned for putting up big numbers, Mm -hmm. uh, that that spread out offense that they run there. Jalen Darden had 10 catches for 204 yards and a touchdown. (laughs) Uh, And Dax Milne at BYU, catching them there, had nine catches and three touchdowns. Someone's got to catch him. All right. Um, our Aussies in action, punting yep. the football. Uh, hey, we good, had... good segue, mate. Good transition. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had host uh, this thing. Oscar Bradburn, Virginia Tech, uh, three punts at an average of 50, which is really good. He's starting to swing his leg through it and make some noise. Max Duffy was uh, serviceable at his level with three at 46 and a half. Jack Brooks had three at 46 and a half. But as you mentioned, there was one game with two Australians in it and they were just playing ping pong with the ball in each other's end zones, just kicking it down to the other end of the field. Uh, Kirk Christodoulou and Louis Headley both kicked the ball six times and both had really, really good averages for that. So Christodoulou uh, averaged 47 yards across six, which is super good, super impressive. And Louis Headley, he's just stepped it up a notch. He's, he's had six at an average of 51.5, which is really like you're seriously emerging as a Ray Guy uh, award contender at this mm-hmm. stage obviously you've got Max Duffy up there uh, you've got the boy uh, out at uh, Georgia who's who's got a leg on him and then Louis Headley's the other one for mine that are uh, looking to get themselves in this race okay uh, thank you for that well done good job on the Aussies in action and the boys will continue to do work and, and we'll track those as the Big Ten get involved as well okay bold prediction time where were you Will and how did you fare so I kind of, mine got voided a bit by COVID. I think this is the first bold prediction to get done by COVID. <laughs> that should have been the bold prediction. My <laughs> bold prediction will get COVID. So I had that the East would rule uh, in, uh, well, the sun would rise and set in the East. 
Uh, so I had Auburn losing to South Carolina, but I also thought Georgia might get up, which they obviously didn't. And then I had the Florida Louis LSU game, which did not go ahead. Uh, and then as my backup stand-in one, I said that uh, Florida State would beat North Carolina. Good one. You had a good day. If only you would bet that. But anyway, right. uh, my bold prediction was that uh, both Alabama and Georgia would get over 150 yards rushing. Uh, Georgia put up 145 on the ground and Alabama put up 147. So I came eight yards short of that, or really five yards and three yards respectively. Having said that, like you mentioned before, Najee Harris actually put up over 150 himself, but the Mac Jones three sacks that equaled minus 20 yards plus a couple of other negative runs meant that uh, they went backwards effectively and ended up with 147 yards on the ground. At least Georgia's running backs all went forwards, um, but they fell five yards short. So That's a tough out. You were certainly around the mark there. <laughs> You're on the, on the right uh, track, just couldn't quite get it, get it done there. So. Yeah. Missed. Anyway, speaking of misses, let's head to on the punt. All right, so... <laughs> Yeah, it deserves a second. You could probably just play it. You could just play us out on that now. Yeah, just keep yeah. it on repeat because this week we have blown the lot again. So we uh, unfortunately had uh, 7.4 units after a big big hit the week before. So we had two bets down. We had our sure thing and we had our upset. And this week we couldn't get either done. So the sure thing I'm kind of used to dropping now because, you know, when there's... 40 years of history and, and something happened it obviously doesn't fucking mean anything to a pandemic so <laughs> i had five five and a half units 5.4 units on tennessee to uh get over the top of kentucky just win the game and they were never close they they, <laughs> they are bad I'm not happy about that i'm Know how to pick them this year. I just love sitting here looking at you and the emotion that you go through and then you finding the correct uh, adjective to describe not only the team, but then <laughs> your whole response to the players. No, yeah, oh, I just, I wish we should, we should really record this and put this up on uh, our social media because it's good to watch. I'm glad someone gets some enjoyment out of it because it does hurt. Uh, I am... One Caulfield Cup, very elegant uh, win. Like the fact that it won is the reason I still have a house I've made. I think it's it's really <laughs> saved my weekend. So very thankful. Um, but, so uh, is there money going back in? Like are we are we absolutely. back at it next oh, week? <laughs> we are back. We are back. Very elegant has looked after us nicely. So okay. we are loading back up. And and I'm assuming all of you punters who are following me, silly enough to be following me, have also had uh, a great great uh, Caulfield Cup day or got on in the Everest there. So. Um, I had the Tennessee loss. I then had Syracuse, as you said, without a starting quarterback or their best player to knock over a team that hadn't lost yet, and they couldn't get that done either. So both of those are done. That's now put me through two lots of uh, 10 units this year. Uh, So I'm now down 20 units on the year, uh, which is a new record. 
Is uh, it? Yeah, this is we're we're now getting reaching new new lows, <laughs> which is exciting. We are <laughs> breaking new ground. Um, I can't quite get it together here when when you start discussing this. I yeah, look, deciding this year that with all the upsets that we're seeing, with all the carnage, all we talk about is fucking chaos. I feel like I've said chaos more times in the last two months than I have in my entire 30 years before me. And this is when I decide, let's back in a sure thing every week. Let, let, <laughs> let's change the tactic to put it all on something that can't lose because what am I thinking? I don't know, but I am enjoying it thoroughly. So I'm glad it's your money and not mine. But thank you for that. Uh, you know, that actually gets me through every weekend. I feel like I get tired on a Sunday night. It's, you know, work starts again tomorrow. But if there's one person and if there's one event that can get me through the weekend and get me excited, it's listening to you review and discuss and analyze your on the punt selections each week. <sighs> So, thank you. Hey, I do what I can for you, mate. <laughs> All right. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's 7 Recap. Before we do leave you, please make sure that you do hit us up on social medias, at Instagram, uh, Twitter, and on Facebook as well, at cfb.com, not .com, at CFB Down Under. Can't even, that's not a thing. Uh, so, at CFB Down Under, make sure you do hit us up on the social medias. Will's been hustling Twitter, have you? No. Okay, good. So plenty of traction on Twitter. Make sure you uh, get around us there. Uh, and please do get involved in the community of college football here in Australia and also to the wider American, uh, European, and everywhere around the globe, I guess, as well. All right. Without any further ado, I will say on behalf of that guy over there and myself, thank you for joining us. My name's Aaron. That's Will. And we get to listen to Tusk for one more time because Alabama won again. Here we go.